Now, with knowing him and knowing his personality, you, you wouldn't be surprised. You know what I'm saying? He, he's one of those type of people. Like that. He, he get indecisive at times. You know, he may have, he's one of those people that I have what I want to do, but when it's time to get down, it's, I change it up, and I'm changing it up and I change it up. So, you know, you know, when you know him, it ain't surprising to me. So, we'll, we'll see what happens at the end of the day. If he don't sign it, me and Anthony, we, we'll still proceed. Are you sure you're, you're getting $40 million for this play? I don't know. Why are you being those? <laughs> <laughs> it's a career high payday, though. I mean, when you're dealing with Saudi Arabia, you know, it's going to be someone career high out there. You know, they, 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 have, you know, they have a lot out there. And, uh, and they, they just want, but most of all, they just want to show the world that, you know, uh, what they want to offer to the world and the things that they're doing out there. And it's a bring to a, a safe environment, uh, a place where you can I like the architecture of the Hey, welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where they're telling us we're going to get an extravaganza of six classic fights on December 23rd in Saudi, which probably means we're not going to get any classic fights on December 23rd in Saudi. So don't hold your hopes up. <laughs> Keep that weekend free. If you need to go out on that night, go and have a few drinks with your mates, go and do that because... I guarantee whatever they put on that TV won't be worth our time. Now, I'm going to caveat that by saying it's the Saudis. So if the Saudis control the card, then anything's possible. Because it's, you know, everyone's trying to get paid in December, aren't they? You know, get that, that end of year bonus. Make sure that your money's straight. I just don't think we're going to get the guys that they think we're going to get. Oh, shit. <laughs> I've just seen on my screen they've sacked Suella Braverman. I know it's not boxing related, but I've been following this for a while. Because... I've believed for a long time Suella Braverman's just been doing anything possible to get sacked. And the reason I say that is we have, we have mutual friends. And I know for a fact her ambition is to be prime minister of this country. Like, <laughs> uh, maybe the least representative person I can think of to run a country, but she wants to run this country. And so I think it's been a concerted attempt to say the most outrageous stuff to get herself sacked, be a martyr, the right will trumpet her cause. It gets her out of parliament just before the Christmas recess. Come next year, she'll start talking from the back benches, I predict. And she'll be talking about how we need to be harder on immigration. We need to be harder on crime. We need to be harder on sentencing. We need to be harder on welfare. She'll, be, she'll start really pulling in that, that right-wing vote. And I think what the plan is, people expect Sunak to lose the election. So if he's got to run for the leadership, he can't now go to the right of the party because the right of the party are backing Braverman. But, actually, but they're not even really backing Braverman. They're backing Kemi Badenoch. And there's a good reason why. The best way to get the world to believe your message is to make the messenger someone they can't deny without calling themselves hypocrites. So they'll get a black woman in Kemi Badenoch to be as right-wing as they come that's why she's been very quiet on a lot of things. Let Braverman build up the, the momentum and the energy, and then she'll pass that crown on to Kemi Badenoch. Um, I'll be honest with you, the sooner we raise the Tories to the ground, the better. I'm not saying we shouldn't have a party on the right-hand side of politics. We probably should. It just shouldn't be the Tories because they, they're an absolute mess. And I think... The fact that we've got the government we have is reflective of that. Um, I don't have a strong view on what the solution is going forward. 
I just see a lot of dysfunction and that can't be good for all of us as citizens who are having to overpay for food, overpay for beer, having to overpay for nights out, overpay for holidays and overpay for everything. But that's my rant for the day over. Let's let's talk boxing where I can get a bit more ranty. Let's start with last Friday and maybe the the most bizarre, strange, ill-fitting and incongruous boxing card I've probably ever seen. Now, if you were to rate the card out of 10, you'd give it minus 15, right? Because it it had one saving grace, in my opinion, and that was uh, young J.P. O'Meara. So I think he's, he made his debut on that show. If I'm wrong on that, ah, God forgive me. But I think, let's see, J.P. O'Meara. Boxer GB for a bit. I don't think he was their cup of tea, and I don't think they were his cup of tea. Um, turned over, is trained by Adam Martin. So good trainer, good facilities. And he'll have access to, to real quality sparring and experience. So, I mean, I think he's made the right choice there. Um, West London through and through, though he's a West Ham fan. But he's probably the, the shining light in, in and amongst all of that. There was a young kid also making his debut, uh, young Harvey Dykes who most listeners will know was the reason I still don't have an ABA champion because the year that Courtney Bennett was due to win, he got stopped by a cut because Harvey Dykes was a bit reckless with his head. And I think even he would admit that. So that's, that's sort of Harvey's claim to fame. But Harvey's trained by Don Charles now, so he, he might be in a better place in order to, to learn those, those finer things in boxing, you know, how to... Be safe and how to keep your opponent safe as well. So good luck to him on his journey. Um, time will tell how well he does. You know, I always like to give people time. You know, he's an ABA champion, so you will give him his respect. He beat Gideon Antwi in the final. Uh, you know me. When you're a small heavyweight, you need to be a busy heavyweight. That It's that's a, a non-negotiable. You can't be a... I'll be on the back foot and hope for the best. It just doesn't work. You don't sell tickets. And eventually people lose interest. So it'll be interesting to see what direction Harvey chooses to take. Um, I like to think he'll take the, the Richard Torres approach of, let me just try bombing people out and see how far I get. So let's start with last Friday's card, right? Which is maybe the most bizarre, strange, um, incomprehensible, you know, in terms of worst cards on the planet. I never had Nisa Silence name pegged as delivering the worst cards well, the worst card we've probably seen this year in this country. Like, just weird on every level. It was... If you went down that list, you'd look and go, don't know any of these people. <laughs> Therefore, why would you have it? And it make, begs the question, so what the hell were Channel 5 thinking getting rid of Hennessy? Like, like the, Mick Hennessy would never produce a card like this. So I don't see... I, I genuinely don't see what the... The Wasserman boxing uh, branding has added to Channel 5's boxing products. It's still terrible. And they should have stuck with Mick Hennessy and looked to build that way. As it is now, you've got, you've got just washed up guys. What's that guy's name? Salton Zerbeck was on there. Uh, guys who haven't quite hit the heights like Tommy Welch. We're still waiting for him to have a breakthrough fight. And then we had a couple of young prospects. Young Harvey Dykes making his debut. Uh, senior ABA champion, so you've got to give him some respect. He beat an experienced amateur and Gideon Antwi to do that. 
Um, I know him more for the fact that he cost me an ABA champion, which will forever hurt. And that was when Courtney Bennett was stopped because of a cut and the ref wouldn't give him 30 seconds to get through the fight. Unbelievably bad. Um, but that came from Harvey Dykes being reckless with his head at the time. I hope as a pro that, that Don Charles' trainer will sort of iron that part out of his game because no one will want to do business with him. Like, much like Holyfield. You know, Holyfield became a menace for you know, recklessly using his head. And we've got to try and avoid that in boxing because it's a hard enough game as it is, you know, dealing with two fists and never mind a forehead to deal with as well. But what a horrible card. They genuinely thought, you know, dragging Roman Fury out would, would do something. And look, oh, Jesus. This is one of the things that annoys me. We're so obsessed with metrics and how many followers someone's got and how many extra eyeballs can we pull in because we've got John Fury in the crowd. The real number is somewhere close to zero. I'm either going to watch boxing or I'm not. Right? It doesn't matter who's in the crowd because I'm not there. And even if I was there, the place that these guys sit is segregated anyway so you don't get to mix with them. So as long as promoters keep trying to do these gimmicky things, it's not going to work. Here's what will work. Competitive fights for your fighters at the right time. That's what will make perfect sense. So until we get back to Boxing 101, which is entertain fans, give fans a sense that, you know, the blue-eyed boy may lose, I just don't think you resurrect boxing, no matter how many gimmicks you put up, no matter how many celebrities you try and get in the crowd. It, you can't polish a turd. And right now, boxing's as turdy as it's been in a long, long time. Um, just let's just focus on the card. Like, like Your Honor, may I present a case for the prosecution, please? They dug up Sultan Zorbeck. A guy who's already failed here. Yeah. They had him boxing on MTK shows here, there, and everywhere. He's about to do that whole Daniel Yelusinov just flatter to deceive. Complete write-off. You know, we don't want to see him. If we wanted to see him, you know I mean like you know I mean half of boxing Twitter would have mentioned his name. Nobody cares. And then we've got Lerone Richards. Jesus, Jesus. Everyone talks about what a nice guy Lerone Richards is. You know, well, actually not everyone. There are some people who are close to him that don't say that. But here's a young man who was in the right setup and was being protected. The fact that he couldn't sell a ticket, the fact that he wasn't crowd friendly, was overlooked because he had the right relationships and the right training camp. He listened to people that got in his ear and said they could do more for him. He listened to people who know nothing about the inner workings of boxing. He listened to work experience kids. He listened to business studies graduates about his career. And here's the sum total of Lerone Richards' career. 
10 years a pro, 18 fights. Since Lerone Richards made his debut, Anthony Joshua has won and lost the world title twice. Anthony Joshua's made the GDP of Swaziland in purses. Tyson Fury has gone from wanting to fight David Hay to being laughed at by the boxing public to beating Vladimir Klitschko to getting up to 28 stone to getting all the way back down to 18 stone. Fought Wilder three times, is a world champion, got, got rumbled by Nganu. All of this has happened in the time their own Richards has flattered to deceive. Zach Chelly's gone from secondary school doing his sats to winning more than Lerone Richards in the same weight class. Eighteen fights in ten years. One eight. That's Lerone Richards. If you've had 18 fights in 10 years, that tells me no one wants to see you box. 18 fights in 10 years. Umar Sadiq's gone from trying boxing to getting good at boxing, boxing in a world championship, trying to qualify for the Olympics, turning pro, looking good enough to beat Lerone Richards, retiring, becoming an actor and becoming a personal trainer in all of that time. What has Lerone Richards done? Flattered to deceive. And on that subject of metrics and gimmicks, do you remember when they had that, that guy clowning in front of the camera singing hot cross buns? And maybe the most cringeworthy thing I've seen on boxing TV in a long time. Ten years as a pro, not one memorable Lerone Richards fight. Ten years as a pro, not one domestic rivalry. Ten years as a pro, not one fight of the year, not one you know, we need to watch that on replay. 10 years as a pro, 18 fights as a pro, and this man has done very, very little for a man of his supposed ability. You remember when Billy Joe Saunders stopped the whole press conference to say, why isn't anyone talking to Lerone Richards? That guy is the most talented guy in this room. And I can always come back to this. Boxing is not a sport that rewards talent. It's a sport that rewards entertainment. That is the start and end of it. And Lerone doesn't entertain, he doesn't excite, and he doesn't make anyone interested in the sport. And I get all of these DMs from people trying to tell me I'm harsh on Lerone Richards. I'm not harsh on Lerone Richards because I only judge him in the context of could you make money with Lerone Richards? And the answer is no, because he refuses to be entertaining. He refuses to be interesting. And don't tell me that singing hot cross buns constitutes being interesting. He had the option to fight Umar Sadiq for the British title. That would have been a good fight. That would have been a fight where boxing fans would have been excited, you know, mainly because it's a massive step up for Umar. But Umar would have brought the best out of Lerone. And he made all of these excuses. And I said it at the time, he'd never fight Umar. And he ran off to Caldwell. And his career stalled. And like I said, there's no sympathy on this side of the conversation. Because there's some people, the, the business of boxing is not for them. And he's one of those guys. It's just not for him. Like, he would have made more money 
inspecting tickets on LNER or Great Northwest Rip, wherever these trains companies are called, our cross-country trains. He'd have made more money as a ticket inspector on Southwest Railways than he has from boxing. He hasn't even got a, a link to Dubai to help him out. Like I said, he's just got those work experience kids, those business studies grads guiding his career. And you can see what happens when you trust some of these people. So you end up with him on a show fighting someone we don't know and someone we don't care about. What the hell is he doing fighting on the show in Brighton? Nothing. And this is a lesson to people. If you want to turn pro, you got to be entertaining, be interesting, take a few risks. You're not going to... You're not going to slip and slide your way to a world title. The public won't allow it. Promoters won't allow it. The broadcasters won't allow it. And expect Lerone Riches to be inactive, definitely at the top level, for another year and a half or so, because no one's going to want to work with him. And that's really sad, because he deserves better. But actually, no, if he deserved better, he'd have better, let's be honest. So you've got this Sultan Zorbeck, who's a waste of time. Lerone Riches, boxing-wise, is a waste of time. And then Harlem Eubank, this great enigma. This guy that they're going to keep convincing us is good. But we all saw him boxing in the novices. Um, who did he box? He boxed Conor the Lion, Vian, in one of them. Maybe it was a final. And he looked flashy and he looked cool and he looked interesting, actually. But he never looked to be a world beater. And actually what he's doing as a pro now, he's probably overachieving where we thought he'd end up. But he might just be that little bit of stardust off getting to that main main event headlining, calling out Conor Ben, that sort of thing. I don't think he's there yet because he boxes at 140 pounds. And you could see him fighting kids like Adam Azim, Dalton Smith, etc., etc., and being competitive in those fights, but ultimately losing. But when those guys kick on and their talent starts to blossom and shine through, they'll leave him behind. So I don't know what you do with... with Harlem Eubank. Are they literally just building him up in the hope that he fights Conor Ben? If so, good luck. But yeah, least said about that show, the better, because I think that's reflective of how, how sad British boxing is for two reasons. One, the people signing the checks of the TV companies have no idea what good boxing is, unfortunately. But two, promoters refuse to build a good product. And a good product starts with promoters working together to get some of these fights and make them more interesting than they currently are. Until that changes, we're pretty much screwed. So let's switch over to the Newcastle card on Saturday, which was equally terrible, but for different reasons. The Brighton card was terrible because it was wholly irrelevant. Right? We'll never remember that show happened. I don't care what anyone tries to tell you. We will never remember that show happened. Saturday was terrible because we're going to remember that show happened. And we're going to remember it happened because everyone on there is going to get beaten so badly at some point in their career where we're going to go, this was a career graveyard. This Saturday in Newcastle was a career graveyard. This Saturday in Newcastle was proof that in Britain, the gap between the amateurs and the pros is vast. In the amateurs, Bertley Boxing Club, monsters. 
yeah? Champion after champion, you can name them. The McCormack brothers, uh, Dean Lang, halfway decent kid. Um, I think Joe Laws was there. Hannah Robinson was there. The, the list goes on from people who were produ- they were produced out there. I think it's Graham Rutherford out there. Real machine. In the pros, as robust and as hollow as a McDonald's paper straw. All of them. You know, and people can say, yeah, I'd like to see you get in there. I'm just saying objectively, as a guy who's watched the sport intensely for years now, that show on Saturday was a catalogue of people who just don't have it. But there was one exception, and I'm going to start with him, because you have to really respect it. Um, Ishmael Davis... When I saw the name, I was like, I don't even know this kid from the amateurs. Turns out he's got no amateur background. And I saw the way he he demolished Ewan McKenzie. And I'm going to put him in that kind of freak category. I think the matchmaking helped him because I think that Ewan McKenzie's a bit light-fisted. So that helped him. But that Ishmael Davis strikes me as one of those kids who's had a few fights outside the ring. One of those kids, maybe from Chapel Town. Maybe knocked about in a boxing gym, but just never got involved because the streets kept pulling him. But he'd always been in a gym. Yeah? He'd always been in a gym, always had street fights, so he knew he was tough. And he had a bit of skill because he doesn't box like he took the sports up last week. And then it seems he's actually just a hard man, a strong man, and a guy who picks things up quickly. Now, how far he can go, I don't know, because your physical gifts can get you to that British level. And I don't think he'd look out of place at British level a year, year and a half from now. But to get to that world level, there's a certain amount of knowledge you need in you. There are certain capabilities you need. There's something, that's, uh, there's something about you that has to be 10 out of 10. That could be chin, could be stamina, could be mindset, could be your jab. Something has to be 10 out of 10. And I don't think you can do that unless you've been doing this for a long time. That's just my own opinion on it. But I love the fact that he announced himself in such an emphatic way against you and McKenzie. They're the sorts of things we want to see. As a boxing fan, I'm now going to watch Ishmael Davis. I'm going to watch Ish again. I want to see what he does now. Because I'm like, wow, this, this is an interesting journey. And it doesn't look like he wants an easy route. So he's looking at Lee Cutler versus, is it Kingsley or Daniel Egbenike? I'm going to say Kingsley, because he seems like the bigger one. And if he gets the winner of that, fair play. Um, there are loads of guys who could be jumping in with it at 154, but I think that would be an interesting fight. Uh, both, Cutler might have Sounds a bit too much for him on a technical yeah, level. Yeah, Egbenike, from a physicality point, that'd be a hell of a fight. So look, you look at the rest of the card and... It, it it's a it's an absolute talent wasteland, but it's a it's a testament to the ability of the internet to hype people up to the heavens and back. Um, just if we just I'm trying to think through what was the order of it, I can't even remember. But they brought the kid Jimmy Sains up. Um, Hearn seems really high on him. I have a feeling it's just because he's a Sims fighter and maybe the only Sims fighter allowed out the the facility at the moment. 
don't know why the rest of the sims guys aren't boxing um and no one seems to ask eddie where spider is where ted is where everyone is um they're talking about rider boxing uh who are they talking about rider boxing on gear but that won't happen for a while so <laughs> inquiring minds want to know what's been going on at that sims gym but i'm gonna say no more but jimmy saints i think will be a guy that's found wanting for toughness when he starts moving up the levels. That'll be my prediction. Now, um, it all looks good, like it's supposed to, but as soon as someone stands their ground with a bit of solidity to them and a bit of timing, I think we'll find he'll go the way of the rest of them. Um, then you had the kid Ben Reese. Now, how do I, how do I describe Ben? Because I like Ben Reese. I've liked Ben Reese for a long time. He beat one of my kids in the ABA quarterfinals. And I was impressed with the fact that he was a southpaw combination puncher, a guy that just put a lot of work into each round. And he seems to have gone away from that in the pros. And when he gives people time and space, he runs the risk of getting timed. And he was timed beautifully by the guy he fought. Uh, what was his name? Saddam Kaitano? put him down with a flash knockdown but i'm going to come back to this expression i'm going to use this again at some point in the podcast if you're going to the well that early in your career and ben reese went to the well not because he had to but his pride forced him to to dig deep and get involved in stuff he shouldn't have got involved in if ben reese had stuck to what made him a good boxer that ability to just grind you down you know, one, two to the head, right hook to the body, left uppercut to the body, straight back up to the head. All that stuff he used to do. He'd have probably had this fight handled a lot sooner. So I don't know who's training him at the moment, but they need to get back to basics with Ben Reese because he doesn't even look happy boxing the other way. Like trying to pick his punches, he's he's not good enough to do that. He, he'll he be like a lot of those guys from the Northeast. He'll be a grafter. Yeah, I mean, like, and there's no shame in being a grafter, by the way. You can make a good career as a grafter, but he's not going to be a, a slickster. He's not going to be a stylist because that's not what made him who he was, if I'm being honest. But Ben Reese, if you're getting put down, what was he like? I think they were just over the, the light heavyweight limit, so above 180 pounds. If you're getting put down by guys at that weight, you might want to be coming down to super middle, never mind light heavyweight, because those other guys at light heavyweight will be waiting for you. So we'll see. His brother Owen Box, um, yeah, smaller, definitely smaller brother. Yeah, he looked all right. But like I said, these guys all have kind of British slash Commonwealth level ceilings attached to them. And then we have Callum French. For Callum French, just go revisit everything I said about Cyrus Pattinson. And we need to touch on this. There are some people who just aren't... It's not that they're not good enough for the pros, by the way, because they are good enough in terms of being able to execute things that make you a pro boxer. They're good enough, but they're just not tough enough. Let's remember, Callum French got stopped by Jeff Ofori got stopped by Jeff Ofori. If those two had fought in the amateurs and they'd fought five times, you'd have backed Callum French to win all five of those. And even if it was close, the judges would have given it to Callum French because I think he was a Burtley boy, so they always do that. 
Jeff Ofori is a lovely guy, by the way. Um, used to box for Islington back in the day. I think he's from that kind of generation from your Aaron Morgans, Sharif Musas, etc., etc. They had a... Our, who was the woman they had? Rachel Holyfield and all those sorts of people. Jeff's a lovely guy. Really, 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 really nice guy. Like, like Jordan Granham. One of those guys that's just respected in the sport because he's always conducted himself well. Callum French was a guy they were talking up to the hills, like super talent, one of the Berkeley boxing miracle kids, all that sort of stuff. And he got beaten up. He got beaten up. He didn't lose because he's not talented. He lost because he wasn't tough. And this is what happens. This, I call it the curse of GB. So GB doesn't encourage you to be tough. The tough kids who go there get sent home. They don't like kids who've had street fights. They don't like kids who've lived that life. That's why you don't hear about many good news stories coming out of there. That's why I found it weird when Joshua was on Louis Theroux and he was trying to talk up his, his street fighting background. And it's like, well, if that were true, McCracken wouldn't have backed you. Joshua's a good kid. Naughty kid, maybe. A good kid. He wasn't a bad kid. He wasn't. You can't find any evidence of it. Because GB won good kids. That's why there aren't many rags to riches stories. That's why none of these kids can take you to the estate and show you what they used to get up to. But a lot of times it's those kids. There's a reason why Brownsville, in the space of five years, produced Mike Tyson, Riddick Bow, and Shannon Briggs. Brownsville. And when they show you the, the bit where they all lived, it's less than like, it's got to be like, what, probably a thousand square meters tops? If that. So, if you can get that, and then you've got the kids like, the, the wider Brooklyn crew, like Zab Judah, etc., etc. Tough places build tough people. Boxing is a sport for tough people. I don't care how skillful people are. You're telling me Mayweather wasn't tough. You're telling me Lennox wasn't tough. Tough environments make for tough people. Our boxing system doesn't encourage tough kids. People don't talk about how many gyms Dillian White was slung out of. People don't talk about Ola Falabi being turned away from the lodge. People don't like tough kids. But tough kids know what to do when the going gets tough. The worrying thing about Callum French was he couldn't dig in and just have a row. He couldn't bite down on his gum shield, bang his gloves together and go, one of us is going to sleep tonight. He didn't have that in him. And as a promoter, if I'd seen that, I'd have written him off straight away. Because if you're going to lose that way, where you get stopped, at least go out being a threat and a menace. And someone says, he could have won that if he hadn't got caught. That wasn't the, the feeling with Callum French. You felt like, you felt like Cyrus Pattinson, he was hollow. Once the four, he broke through the psychological barriers, there was nothing there. 
and you saw Jeff Afori was just having fun in there. Let me let my hands go. Nothing's going to hurt me. So kudos to Jeff Afori, by the way, and I hope this is a chance for him to get more favorable opportunities and build him for as far as he can go because he's not a bad boxer. He's a very tough man. I don't think he's had the luck that others have had or the breaks. But like Callum French, put him on that, that I'm not going to say he's done or he retire. He just needs to know that he'll be one of those guys that has a, a 60-40 record. He'll win 60%, lose 40%. And that's okay. He'll be a Ritson type guy. And there's no shame in that, by the way. Boxing needs more of those guys be more active. This idea that everyone deserves to headline is stupid and is holding boxing back. And wasn't that the reason we didn't get the the Ritson versus Pat McCormack fight? Like Ritson was like, you're going to let me get beaten up on my home show. And I was like, that's everything that's wrong with boxing. But Callum French, everything that's wrong with GB. They get loads of really nice kids in. And they teach them to do really basic stuff, by the way. Like, the stuff they teach you at GB is an absolute waste of time. I've seen training diaries. It is a waste of time. Yeah? You're going to get exposed. It will work in terms of winning medals, and that's how they get their money. But if you want to become a pro, you're wasting your time going to GB. And it doesn't even help with the marketing anymore unless you win a gold medal. Even then, really? You know, Ben Whitaker won a silver, and what's that done? And I love Ben. I love Ben to, to heaven and back. I think he's exciting. I think he's interesting. But I don't see MNC Saatchi knocking, knocking on the door for him. I don't see IMG going, we want him. We can turn him into, I don't know, the next Mayweather. I don't see that. I mean, he will make that off his own back, I think. I'm confident of that, but it's it's definitely swung the other way. So 10 years ago, everyone was trying to get their kids into GB because it, for a coach, it was good for your ego to say, oh, I've got a kid in GB. And then once you get a kid in GB and you see what they do for, from a training perspective, you're almost like, eh, that wasn't worth it. We could have just done that here. And now we're swinging back. Because I see loads of clubs and they train their kids the same way England Boxing wants them to train them for GB. And anytime I see a kid like that, I know they're not tough. And I'll say to my fighter, just set about them, chop them to the body, then go to the head, make it rough, and see how quickly all of that stuff unravels. Because good coaches teach you how to box. But they also teach you how to fight. Because ultimately, boxing is just a fight with skill. So, so yeah, we're going to put Callum French in boxing one, room 101, right? That's where we're going to put him. Like, he's, he's, he's now a career B-side. So, credit to, credit to Jeff Ofori for, you know, helping us clean up the division a bit. Um, who else do we need to talk about on there? I'm going to wrap that up. Well, actually, no, we've got Shabazz Masu to talk about. But let's talk about... Cameron Vong. Is it Vong? Just call him Vong. And everyone's going to tell me how hard uh, Mosquera is as an opponent. 
but actually, first and foremost, let's give Vong credit for not doing any four-rounders. Jump straight into six-rounders. Love the courage. Love the fact that he backs himself. My worry with the Mosquera fight was he wasn't able to impose himself either physically or tactically. That may be down to youth and, you know, he hasn't filled out yet, but he's not far off filling out. You know, so what are we going to see from Jamie Moore and Nigel Travis? Probably more of the same. Um, I just, I think he'll be a good kid. I don't believe he will be what Sam Jones will tell you he is. In fact, I am confident he will not be what Sam Jones tells you he is. Because, for what I said earlier, a lot of these guys are just McDonald's paper straws. Put them in the milkshake and they're they're just useless. Put them in your Coke Zero, useless. The only time you actually appreciate them and go, actually, that looks good, is before they actually have to be used. And that's going to be his problem too. As soon as there's someone there who's prepared to just stand there, trade with a bit of timing and a bit of strength, that bubble will burst as well. I wish him all the best, though. I just don't see anything spectacular about any of these kids. I don't see anything game-changing or life-changing about these kids, if I'm being brutally honest. So then we come to the main event which was meant to be Pat McCormack, which is what you'd expect on a Newcastle show, right? But where's his brother Luke? I mean, they keep telling us these kids have illnesses, they're this, they're that. I wonder if their lifestyle issues have been ironed out. Anyone who knows them well, just let me know, have the lifestyle issues been ironed out? Because they are, we know that there are some lifestyle issues well documented at GB, and you're hoping as a pro they'd be taking the game a bit more seriously than they than they have before. Remember, Pat McCormack's an Olympic silver medalist. We forget that. And he's literally turned that silver medal into dust, career-wise. Because when you watch him on TV, you don't care that he won an Olympic silver medal. And that shouldn't be how it is. But sadly, that is how it is. So let's talk Shabazz Masood. One of the oddest careers in boxing. Very, very strange career. A career where you feel every move has been guided by plus 971, right? You get the impression he gets phone calls from that dialing code. His career to date would suggest so. And so he ends up with all the other 971 guys on a matchroom show. Wonder how that happens. No comment. So this Shabazz Maverick Masood, who fits all the 971 criteria, Okay, he's got a 971 trainer, 971 promoter, and had a 971 career. I think he's got a 971 manager. So he fits the 971 criteria. We get told that this guy's going to be a world champion, multiple weight classes. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Okay, we expect to see this in Liverpool. But they say he's got COVID, whatever he had. Cool. We see him in Newcastle. And whatever excuse you want to make, he got sick, he hasn't boxed for a year. I expect your timing to be off. Your fitness might be off, but your work rate shouldn't be off. Your mindset shouldn't be off. He was lucky to win. He was lucky to win that split decision. He was so lucky. He should have lost on Saturday. Um, 
got horribly outworked in our hustle by San Martin. But like I said, when you're a 971 guy, these things go your way. He was mediocre to say the least. So I think he was boxing at Super Bantam, if I'm correct. So if he was boxing at Super Bantam, cool. But now let's, let's look at it objectively. Why doesn't he fight Prince Patel? Prince Patel will step up to 122 pounds to fight him. Let him fight Prince Patel. And then let's see where we go. Let's benchmark him based on that. Because I don't think he wants to move up in weight. Like at 126, there's some, <laughs> there's some nasty people at that weight. And he doesn't want to be there. But it goes to show when these internet people with their cameras and their microphones start running around, they can build these hype bubbles around people who aren't that good and aren't that tough. I can guarantee as soon as Masood meets someone that can dig, it'll all fall apart. Then we'll be talking about rebuilding. We don't want to be talking about rebuilding. Too many of these guys are rebuilding before they should be rebuilding. And that Saturday card is full of people who in the next 18 months we will hear rebuilding job. Trainers will be changed. Managers will be tra changed, swapped around. You're going to get all of that. Because that card on Saturday was Hearn basically showing you how threadbare British boxing is at the moment. So if he's saying that he's going to kick people off matchroom, I'd be comfortable if he kicked every one of those off matchroom. But we know the three-digit boys have to stay. Because sometimes Hearn doesn't call the shots, as we're slowly finding out. So I'm going to spin the car 90 degrees now and shoot off in a different direction and start talking about the noise that's circling around Anthony Joshua and Ben Davidson, which I don't understand. Now, there are rumors that AJ's working closer with Ben Davidson than the public are being led to believe. I can only tell you what I know. Joshua's been in that gym a lot. He's definitely sparring in that gym. Like, there's no question about that. But he's not in camp. From what I'm hearing, he's not in camp. He's training. As they say, he's ticking over. But based on some of the stuff I'm hearing, it's not quite ticking over. It's definitely, I need to get some pre-Christmas work in. So here's some things I can say for certain. He's not sparring any Southpaw heavyweights. So if you're telling me he's fighting Otto Wallen, I don't know if that's going to be happening now. Um, not this year anyway, because that would give him five weeks. And if you haven't started sparring Southpaws and you struggle with Southpaws, this might not be the time to be starting if you're fighting in December 23rd. But it comes back to this question of what's the point? Like, how deluded do you have to be to believe that McCracken, Garcia, Fernandez, and James are all wrong about you? They've got it wrong. You know, how many years can you go through that loop of believing they're the ones holding you back? Until someone sits you down and says, you're not the guy you think you are. If you were, you wouldn't have to run around the perimeter of the ring. You wouldn't have to tell us that you're trying to become a better boxer. Everything about you would be obvious. Mike Tyson never had to explain his style to us. Lennox Lewis never had to explain his style to us. 
Evander Holyfield never had to explain his style to us, nor did Riddick Bowe, nor did Ray Mercer, nor did Tony Tubbs, nor did Tim Witherspoon. None of these guys ever had to explain their style to us, nor did Frank Bruno. Because it was obvious who they were. And it was obvious what they could do. Now, the thing with Anthony Joshua is, it's obvious who he is, and it's obvious what he can do. Anthony Joshua is not... He's not Jeff Ofori in terms of mindset and character. And he will know that. He's more of a McDonald's straw than he is one of those metal straws. You know, the ones that if you, if you catch him wrong in your mouth, man, it's a cut. He's definitely not one of those. He's recyclable straw because Anthony Joshua is recyclable. That Matchroom um, 258, Soap Media, that whole playbook, they'll recycle another big guy on that. Give it this time next year, it'll be delicious Ori that they'll be cooking up as a new Anthony Joshua. So going to Ben Davis and what's that really going to do? I hear people say, oh, well, Ben Davison's this great tactician. Really? 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 Great tactician. Okay, so what tactics board was it get outclassed and dropped by Mick Conlon, then come through at the end and stop him? That's not Ben Davison, that's Lee Wood. Um, dropping Mauricio Lara, that's Lee Wood. Putting Josh Warrington down, that's Lee Wood. Because Ben Davison didn't train that power. So what, what are these tactical masterclasses? Because what I'd like Ben Davison to do is one day just take a picture of your, your tactics board, make sure it's time-stamped so we can check the metadata on that as well, and then after the fight, show us the tactics board, and then let's see if it worked. There's too many occasions where we, we judge someone based on the outcome without understanding whether they were part of that outcome or not. If Lee Wood said to Ben Davis, I don't mind getting outclassed and battered for six rounds by Josh Warrington, then fair play. I don't believe he did. If Lee Wood said to Ben Davison, I would absolutely love it if Mick Conlon outclassed me and dropped me for 11 rounds and then I could just sort of win in the last minute or the last round, I should say. Awesome. If Tyson Fury said to Ben Davison, yeah... I know I could probably stop Wilder if I held my ground and just started hitting him. But I'm going to run around the perimeter of the ring and drift onto his right hand because I want to see if my chin can take it. Not sure Fury said that either. So what is it? Where are these tactical masterclasses? I get tired of hearing people say he studies video. Him and that clown Lee Wiley sit there and they watch video. That... That's like two blind men in a strip club. Do you mean it may feel good, but they have no idea what the hell's going on? And and you've got these clowns in the media that give them this this kudos. And this isn't an anti Ben Davison post, by the way, or even me being anti Ben Davison. I like Ben Davison. Ben Davison's a young coach that we should be supporting. 
and I 100% do. Let me be clear about this. I support him. I don't support the boxing world putting him on this pedestal because he hasn't, he hasn't made enough mistakes. I don't believe he's gone home enough times crying or angry or hurt for him to have that experience whereby you don't have to watch video. You can just see it. You can just see it right there and then. You haven't got to watch it at, you know, one-tenth the speed to see stuff that guys like Jimmy Tibbs can just tell. Guys like Joe Gallagher can just see it because they're experienced. It's a game changer. But let's look at what the big picture is here. Well, we're going to go down one of two threads. So thread number one, Ben Davidson goes, well, I know Fury. If AJ comes and he's going to fight Fury, I'm the guy he probably wants to be around because I'm one of the few trainers that can talk about Fury without violating family loyalty. Right? So that makes sense. Ben Davidson looks at those purses Joshua earns and goes, yep, this will pay for the Ben Davidson Performance Center. He also looks at the pull that Joshua would have and that would elevate his reputation. So for purely selfish reasons, I fully understand why Ben would want this scenario. The other option is Joshua's a, another three-digit guy as well. And he got put where he got put because they said, look, <laughs> we need to bring you closer to base now. When the 971 wanted their other prize asset to be looked after and have an eye on, who did they have? They had Ben Davison look after him all the way through to that first Wilder fight. Maybe the 971 need Joshua somewhere where they can keep an eye on him and make sure their investment's still good. I don't know, I'm just speculating at this point. That might be it. But notwithstanding that, it poses this really good question about trainers. What do trainers really, really do? What really makes you a good trainer? So this is just my opinion, and hopefully others will agree. If they don't, this is going to be an interesting debate. At the top of the trainer tree, and let's just keep it UK focused for now. At the top of the trainer tree are people like Brendan Ingle, God rest his soul, I'm going to put Dom Ingle in there too. I know people disagree on this, but Dom Ingle goes in there. Chris Sanagar will go in there too. I'm going to put Joe G in there too. And here's the test for sitting at the top of this tree. You took a kid from an amateur to a pro. Even if they win an area belt, you took a kid from an amateur to a pro. And they were successful in both. Brendan's at the top of that tree. Naz, Johnny. Um, uh, who else you want to whack in there? Naz, Johnny, Ryan Rhodes. Uh, the list goes on. Of all of those guys that... That like Brendan turned into stars and yes it was a short window if you consider his whole training career he turned those guys into stars I'm not going to give him Harold Graham because I think Harold came as an adult but it's the guys that came in from kids 
put Kell Brook in there too. But, you know, obviously the, the other Ingles were parts of this too. But Dominic's got that, that sort of level of respect too. So anyone that took a kid through the amateurs into the pros is at the top of the tree because you built them. We see it a lot in America, but we don't so, see it so much here. But that's the top of the tree for me. Then the next level is you took a kid from the top end of the, or just from the end of their amateur career. So their first pro fight was with you and you won titles. And as much as I give the Peacock a hard time, that's where you give these guys like, like Martin Bowers credit because Martin Bowers has done it. Um, who else can you put in this category? You put Adam Booth in that category too. You can put Tony Sims in that category. There are loads of trainers you can put in that category, quite rightly too, in terms of they took a kid and they built him up. Then there's the third category. And they're, they're what I call your, your polishes and finishes. And I'm going to put someone like Dave Caldwell in this. Actually, in that second category, put Don Charles in there too because of what he did with Derek. Um, so respect for that. And hopefully what he's about to do with his own son, George Fox, and others too. But that third category, the, the finishes and polishes, at the moment, that's where you put a Ben Davison. That's where I put a Dave Caldwell. Um, and some of those gyms out in Essex, I'd put there as well, where... They come in, they talk a, a lot of clever stuff, do this, do that, change the environment, change how you feel about boxing, and that leads to improved performances. That's not a bad thing, by the way, but you're using a very limited span of skills. And then the fourth, I just call the jobbers. Um, guys that do it just to tell people they do stuff in boxing. And there are loads of those, by the way, loads of them. Tracksuit wallies sort of tracksuit wallies who come and they message you because of what you say in the podcast. I had this the other day. We'll call, we'll call the guy Russ. And he was upset that I mentioned one of his fighters. And actually, I wasn't even disparaging about the fighter. I was disparaging and disrespectful that the, the TV network set up the opportunity. Actually, fuck it, we'll say it was Vidal Riley. And I said at the time, and I stand by this, once Isaac wins that British, and once he wins that Commonwealth, the first message is, Isaac's closed off that domestic level of business. Right? Because Isaac's been past domestic level for a long time. And I said, that's the story. The story for Isaac is making up for lost time. That's what the public want to see. Okay, he's fit now, hopefully injury-free. Let's see what happens if Isaac can fight two or three times a year. How far can he go with his talent? Because he's still younger than most people. There's only like a year and a half, two years between him and Vidal Riley. Vidal Riley's aim at the moment should be domestic dominance. He should be the best out of his generation. He shouldn't be worrying about Isaac yet. He should be worrying about your Scott Forrest and so forth. And I think these are all guys he beats, by the way. Um, Mikel Lawal. These are all guys that Vidal Riley beats. 
but he has to beat them before they start putting him on the camera talking about Isaac. I thought that was bad business because it took money out of Isaac without putting money in Vidal. Like, Vidal, I think, is talented. Keep saying it. I enjoy watching him box, actually. But you've got to make the right business choices at the right time. And I don't think having him on the camera talking about fighting Isaac made any sense when the public are like, well, quite like to see Isaac fight Billum Smith again. So that's all I said in so many words. And this guy sends me like a long ass WhatsApp message, all capital letters, by the way. I don't know if he finished school or not, but it's all capital letters, like no grammar, just all like one, not even a sentence because there's no full stop. So like a, a phrase, that's what you call it, right? It's just a phrase, um, clause after clause after clause after clause in this message. Crying. Um, it's the sort of message you used to get, like, you know, when you've had an argument with your girlfriend and she's like, it's over. And then they send you this long message explaining why it's over. And you never really read it. But this is my thought. Let me entertain this and read this. And it was like the bitchiest message ever. And I was like, wow, man, you really are a tracksuit Wally, aren't you? You bag carrying bastard. You know what I mean? How sad. Like, how sad. You've been in the game that long that you couldn't even pick up the phone and say, mate, what did you mean when you said that? And I could have just said, I just thought it was bad business. I th that's it. It's not even a shot against Vidal. I just said, I thought that was bad business because that's not, that's not a fight that's going to happen next anyway. So what was the point? So this guy sends this message, man. It's long. Oh, you know, I always thought you knew about boxing. Clearly, you know, you don't know anything. Uh, uh, you said Vidal was a, a small cruiserweight. I'll let you know he walks around at 97 kilos. I'm like, well, that's kind of small for a cruiserweight. Like JP was coming down from 103. And JP wasn't the biggest of the cruiserweights. Reactpool will come down for more. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he is a small cruiserweight. And also on the scales, he doesn't look peeled like most cruiserweights do. So he's a small cruiser. He's caught, you know, if there was a division between cruiser and light heavy, he'd be in there. So that's correct. And it's an opinion anyway. And he's sending me all, all of this stuff and he's crying. So yo, I just responded with, what exactly in the podcast upset you? Because I wanted the detail to see if he'd actually paid attention or if he was just in his feelings. And I think once he saw that the, the reasonable approach and the fact that I didn't want to engage in an argument, he just deleted the message. I thought, what a little bitch. That's what you get with some of these tracksuit wallies, man. And these are the people who will tell you they're serious trainers. Can you imagine being a fighter and you've got that energy in the gym around you? That tracksuit wally um bag carrier mentality around you you're trying to take over the world and these guys are just happy to be involved that's why people get frustrated with their trainers because they're not on the same level of hunger but they're the tears i have and you can move up those tears by the way um you look at a young guy like billy rumble and he's crazy hungry to succeed do you know what I mean? That's Bill for you. Like, and you can see that he's still got that, that pain in his chest from never having the opportunity to, to have a fully-fledged pro career because he was talented himself. But you see that now, that hunger in what he's trying to do. So credit to him. And there are loads of young guys coming through. Bobby Mitt, who's training Isaac, he's trying to build this pipeline as well. So all the young guys are understanding that 
you've got to build them in the amateurs, then take them to the pros. It's the best way. So I'm happy that we're seeing that. We just need to see more of it. Now, I was, I think we'll put this out there because it's fair. So I was in the gym on Friday and I was talking to, to one of the guys I train with and he's friends with a pro boxer. One of my, one of my favorite pro, but I got to talk about a lot, but not one that I'm particularly close to because like his club were, were rivals when we were amateurs. But they were talking about, yeah, he's thinking of leaving his trainer. And my first thing was like, why? Because I'm tired of people leaving trainers as if that tackles the issue. It doesn't. Most of the time, the issues are within, not without. And it, it forced me to ask this question. Why aren't trainers hungry to be better? How can you be a trainer and tell your fighter to be better every week? And give your fighter things to work on every week and things to develop every week. And you don't do that yourself. Coaches very rarely develop. Like, the way a lot of these guys train today is how they were training 20 years ago. The way a lot of these guys think is how they think 20 years ago. Go and listen to some of these men in their mid to late 50s talk about boxing now. They're in a time warp. They have no idea that the game's moved on. But then, but then I look at it from the other end. And you've got guys like Ben Davis and Lee Wiley who are trying to short-circuit the experience curve by using loads of internet data. And I don't think you can do that. Like, I, I've said it before and here, I'll say it again. Experience comes from the things you get wrong. And as long as you understand why you get them wrong, you'll understand what doesn't work and why. That's what experience is. That is the foundation of coaching genius, where you're like, actually, you know what, that's not going to work for these reasons. Whew, thank God we didn't waste four weeks doing that nonsense. And that's why you lean on older and wiser heads. So when it comes to all of this stuff, all it does is amplify the fact that Anthony Joshua habitually makes bad choices about his career because he's not surrounded by people who would understand what to do. No one in Joshua's team, apart from his bodyguard, G14, uh, apart from Benga, really understand what boxing's about. And even then, he kind of understands it. The rest of them, business studies graduates, they have no idea what it takes to run a tight ship and to get the best out of AJ because... Inside Anthony Joshua, there's probably a monster in there that no one's got the courage to tap into. But it's going to take a, a brave, wise and smart man to do that. And I just don't think Anthony Joshua's made that choice in a long, long time. He should have stuck with McCracken because no one's taken him up a level since he left McCracken. That's the sad bit about it. And I think McCracken was that guy. In terms of mindset, McCracken's as tough as they come. But like I said, maybe there's a bigger game at play here. Maybe it's really about, you know, those three digits we mentioned before. Maybe that's what this is about. The consolidation of power and influence. But only time will tell, as far as I'm concerned. But look, if he goes with Ben Davidson, I think you'll see a regression. I think he'll become more risk averse. And when he does that, 
he invites people to attack him. So then he's going to have to go back to scrapping anyway because he's not going to know what to do under pressure. You know, kind of like, like with Usyk, where Usyk was beating him up so much that Joshua just thought, huh, let me throw some haymakers and see what happens. But in summary, <laughs> good luck to AJ. I just wish he went back to McCracken and admitted, yeah, I thought I knew better, but I don't. Because he's been around too many elite trainers who have been happy to to tell the truth about him, that he's not that guy. And, you know, he went to Derek James to try and be that, that tough Charlo type guy. And then he goes and sees Spence get battered and sees Charlo get battered. Then go, I mean, he might end up at Ronnie Shields next, the way things are going. But listen, good luck to them. Jesus, I didn't think I was going to go for more than an hour. It's going to get me the sack. Um, I do want to close out by saying one thing, because I don't know when I'm going to record again, but I do want to touch on this. We always call this the month of November, where those of us who are more her suit will grow our moustaches out for men's mental health. So it would be wrong of me not to talk about that and say... To an audience that is majority male, sorry ladies, but that's what the data tells me. Um, in 2023, it's pretty hard being a man. Like, everything's expected of you. You're not allowed to take a backward step. You can't show fear. You can't be vulnerable. You nothing you can't take a step to the side the world expects you to keep going forward even as it it throws more and more obstacles your way even as it makes life more expensive uh more challenging everything about being a man gets harder every year and we're not allowed to rewrite the rules we're not and here's what happens as men, we grow up around our mates, we play football, we socialize, we do this, we do that. And what that does is it gives us an understanding of what it's like to be respected, appreciated, and to some extent loved by your peer group. And we get older. And as we get older, society separates us from our friends. You know, we fall into this trap of believing because we're in a settled relationship, we have to exclude everyone else. We think we have to be at home all the time and be around our families because that's what a good husband does and that's what a good dad does. You, you put your family above everything else. But we live in an era where that family can be taken away from you in a heartbeat and they'll, they'll all act like you never existed. So I say to all the people who are sat there going, this is hard and it's not fun. Lean into your friends. Call your friends. Go out for beers. If you don't drink, cool. Go out for coffee. But surround yourself with other men who you respect and love. Have conversations with them. Sometimes share your burden. Sometimes ask for answers. Ask for solutions. Have those conversations. If you're umming and ahhing about making a phone call, just make the phone call. Because, and I'm, I think I speak for everyone listening right now, we'd all rather you made the phone call than you wrote the suicide note. We'd all rather you made the phone call 
then you go out and do something stupid. We'd all rather you make the phone call than you overdose. And one thing I would say to those listening now, and if you want to share this, feel free to share this. The most important thing you have as a man are your friends, not your family. Your friends are the most important thing you have as a man because nobody can take that away from you. But here's what your friends do for you. They make you a better dad. They make you a better husband. They make you a better man. So the net benefit to your family is significant. If you're with someone and they don't like you being around your friends, either, you're, either you've got the wrong friends or you've got the wrong partner. Tough choices to make. But you need to be around people who aren't your family, who will always tell you whether you're doing right or doing wrong. Those people who have stood by you before you had a family and will stand by you even if you were to lose your family. And don't be afraid to lean on them. Because we've all been through hard times. I remember, like, sometimes I talk about this, and I go back in 2015, I can remember there was a time when I had my money tied up in things and I just wasn't, I wasn't going to be able to pull it out anytime soon. And I couldn't get a job. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe I do. But I remember being on a fiver a day and saying to myself, do you know what? I'm going to have to walk everywhere or cycle everywhere because I'm not paying that, that 270 or 3 quid, whatever it is, to ride the tube. And I was like, I've got to do this until, until something lands for me. And it got close to the wire, but eventually something did come. But I had to lean on some older, wiser heads and say, what's going wrong? And they gave me some real advice and that helped me. But I can always remember. And it's crazy because you say, what's the overarching feeling you have in those circumstances? And it's shame. It's shame. How do I look to my peer group? How do I look to outsiders? I think that was the point when I stopped caring what people think. So if you bear in mind, this is before I started doing podcasts and stuff. I stopped caring what people think. Because none of those people who would have had an opinion would have put a penny in my pocket. But guys, I'm going to say this now. Do not fall into this trap of believing that stoicism is what gets you ahead in life. Success moves in groups. Happiness moves in groups. The sooner you embrace that, the more successful and the happier you'll be. And that's why I say, don't just use this month as a trigger. Use every month, every day as a trigger to, to engage with and to lean on your network of friends. Male, female, doesn't matter. Lean on your network of friends and say, sometimes I need help. Or even offer, do you need help with something? As I said earlier, I'd rather that conversation than the alternatives. And on that note, let me tap out and actually go and do a day job. But listen, guys, have a great week. I'm sorry boxing didn't offer more for us to get our teeth into, and I'm sorry this is unbelievably long. So if you need to listen to this in four or five chunks, great, because that does my spins the world of good in terms of numbers. 
But now, as always, mate, it's always appreciated. Whether this is your first episode or your 290th or whatever it is, always appreciated, guys. Thank you.